James chapter one. We're going to go through the book of James. We're going to go through every verse. We're going to go through every word. We're going to make sure that we get this down deep in our souls. And so today we're coming out of the gate and guess what? We're only going to cover one verse. You say, brother Steve, this is going to last for 10 years. No, it won't. But I do want to give you an introduction to the book and the best way to do it is just to explain and illustrate and apply verse one. Let's look at it and then we'll just jump right into our outline. This is James, a bondservant of Jesus. That's the title. And we get it from James chapter one, verse one. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings, joy. That's what he's saying there. First of all, notice the story that James experienced. Your life is a story. And the story of James is very significant. We see his name, James. It's the word in the original text of the Greek, Yaikobos. And uh, it is in the Hebrew form, Yaikob. It means Jacob or James. A very common name among the first century Jews. Accordingly, there were several James mentioned in the New Testament. There, of course, is the Apostle James, who was the brother of the Apostle John. Both were fishermen when Jesus called them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they were sons of Zebedee. You might remember in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that James the apostle became the first martyr, the first apostle to be martyred. Stephen was already martyred, a deacon. But James was killed by the sword of Herod Agrippa in, James, in Acts chapter 12. So it's not that James. That's not the James that we're talking about that wrote this book. Then there's James, the son of Alphaeus. He's another one of the 12 apostles. We don't know a lot about him, but you can read about him in Mark chapter three, verse 18. Then there's James the less. I never knew what that meant. I, I used to think the guy was just skinny. I didn't know what the deal was, but it means that he is the younger. He is the younger. And his mother was Mary, not the mother of Jesus, not that Mary, but another Mary who joined another Mary, Mary Magdalene, and Salome as they stood near the cross of Jesus as he was dying. That's not that James. That's the one mentioned in Mark chapter 15, verse 40. And then there's a remote James there. We hardly know anything about him. But James, the father of the apostle Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the one mentioned in Luke 6, 16. But none of these James are the ones we're talking about. So who is this James? Well, this James was Jesus' brother. He was Jesus' brother. And uh, they shared the same mother, not the same father, obviously, but eventually they would share the same father spiritually. But you understand what I'm saying. Jesus was born of a virgin, but this James was not. He was born of a biological father, Joseph, and his mother Mary. We read about him in Matthew 13, verses 54 through 56. And he, Jesus, came to his hometown began teaching in their synagogue. 
so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Now listen, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers? And here they are. Who's the first one? James and Joseph and Simon and Judas or Jude. That last one wrote the book of Jude right before the book of Revelation. And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? He is this James. This is the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of Joseph and Mary by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Mary had conceived Jesus, but by Joseph she had conceived James and the others. And by the way, uh, some in the Catholic Church say that Mary was a perpetual virgin and that these other children that were simply children that Joseph had from a previous message. The problem with that is none of that is in the Bible. <laughs> so yes, Mary biologically had other children. She did not remain a virgin if you want to be biblical about it, which is a great thing to be. Joseph, Jesus' biological brother wrote this New Testament book. Now the thing about it is prior to Jesus' sacrificial death and bodily resurrection, sadly, James was an unbeliever. He was an unbeliever. So put that down. Before he died on the cross, Jesus had opposition from his brothers. James and all of them did not believe that he was the Messiah. We read about that in John chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, they're saying this sarcastically, so that your disciples also may see your works which you're doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then John just comes out and tells us, verse 5, for not even his brothers were believing in him. That included James. Jesus' younger brothers did not believe he was the Christ They'd grown up with him in Nazareth. Now, I wonder how that happened because they never saw him get a spanking. I mean, he never got in trouble. He always did the right thing, said the right thing. <laughs> he was the one saying, telling her, let's go to synagogue, let's go to synagogue. Jesus was always doing the, I don't know how, he missed it. They worked together in the carpenter shop of their father, but they would not accept the fact that Jesus was the Christ. So, he was an unbeliever, but thank God he became a believer. Amen? Amen? After Jesus died on the cross, it's very possible that this James saw from a distance his brother dying on the cross, and he heard Jesus saying these amazing things. The seven statements of Jesus on the cross are nothing short of miraculous. But once Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, and he appeared to his brothers. He appeared to uh, Jesus' brothers Jesus appeared to them. They believed in him. We know that because we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, then they returned to Jerusalem. They had just seen Jesus ascend to heaven from the Mount of Olives. The angels had told them that uh, he's going to come back in just the same way. Don't marvel that he's gone up. He's coming back. And uh, they were told by Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to pray and the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would be witnesses. 
The Bible says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. That's the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they'd entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That's the upper room where the Holy Spirit would fill all the disciples, 120 of them later on. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew. That's not the James now we're talking about. That's the James that's going to be martyred later on. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus. That's not the James. And Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And that's not the James. There's three James mentioned there that are not the James. But here's the James. These, all with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In that group, that last group there of the brothers, that's James. He's the first brother. And by this time, he has given his heart to Jesus. Isn't that something that even his own brother, even his own mother, who had given birth to Jesus, had to receive the new birth from Jesus? Isn't that something? And even James had to believe. And it was a threshold that he was glad to cross after he saw the resurrection of his brother who had died on the cross. But then that didn't stop James. He went on to become the first pastor of the first church. <laughs> Isn't that something? He became the first senior pastor, elder, overseer, whatever word you want to use. It's all the same thing in the Christian church, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. When the apostle Peter was imprisoned by Herod Agrippa, the church prayed for his release. You can read about that in Acts chapter 12. And you know what happened? When we pray, God moves. God sent an angel. You'd be shocked, I'm sure. And I would too at how many angels God has sent to help us out when we pray. He sent an angel to the prison, unlocked all the doors. Peter was set free. Peter then exited, made a beeline to the house where all the Christians were praying for him, knocked on the door, and the little girl panicked when she heard Peter's voice and left him at the door. <laughs> I imagine he was wanting in, don't you? And, and, and the Bible says when the they saw Peter alive. They rejoiced. Look at it and notice what happens. He directs them to go tell James that he's free. And that's James, not the other James. That other James had already been killed. We read about that earlier in Acts chapter 12. But Peter says, go to James. Now watch this. But Peter continued knocking. And when they'd opened the door, they saw him. They were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison, and he said, report these things to whom? Say it out loud. James. There's our James. There's the brother of Jesus. There's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Report it to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Later on, there were a group of people who were Jews who got saved, but they were holding on to their Judaism very tightly. They were called Judaizers. And the, the reason they were called that is because they said basically, not only did the Gentiles have to receive Jesus, but they had to also commit themselves to become Jewish before they could become Christians. They have to also adhere to the law of Moses and be circumcised. The men do. And so Paul said, no, that's not right. That's not what God wants. We've been witnessing to people all over the place. And so in Acts 15, they have this big church meeting and James is the senior pastor there, and he listens to Peter give 
a dialogue about how he had witnessed to Cornelius, a Gentile, and led his family, and, and they didn't have to be circumcised. And then Paul and Barnabas told about all their missionary journeys and how all these Gentiles had been saved. And when everything has been said and done, you see James, the pastor of the church there, stand up and say, okay, guys, we've got all this information. Now, here's what I think we ought to do. Notice what he says in Acts 15, verse 13 and following. After they had stopped speaking, James answered them said, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, that's Peter, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree. Go down to verse 19 now. Therefore, it is my judgment. This is what I think we ought to do, that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. That is, they shouldn't have to become Jews to become Christians. They shouldn't have to be circumcised and adhere to all the law and all that. No, no, no. But that we write to them, verse 20, that they abstain from the things contaminated by idols, from fornication, that is sexual immorality, and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, that's in the synagogues, since he's read in the synagogue every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them. This is the letter that James was proposing. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles. Greetings. And I won't read the whole letter to you, but it was superimposed, and, and it, was, it was not superimposed, but it was supervised by James. You see him being the senior pastor. You see him later on when Paul comes back from all his missionary journeys, right before he gets arrested. James is acting again as the elder, as the senior pastor. It says in Acts 21, 18 and 10, the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the other elders. You can see he's the lead elder. He is the lead pastor there of the church in Jerusalem. So he is obvious, a, a very faithful person. He loved the Lord, and God raised him up to be the pastor, the first pastor, first senior pastor of the first church. He said, well, Brother Steve, that's about as good as it gets. Well, he went on. He went on. He became an apostle and a pillar. Now, if you're from West Tennessee, that's not something you lay your head on now I'm talking about, all right? I'm, t I'm talking, he is a pillar as in he is one who, whom the church, who stands up in the church. He, you know, there are pillars in the church, are they not? They're, they're just people that just faithful to God. They don't look like a lot to a lot of people out in the world, but boy, God sees them. They are columns of strength. They are pillars. They're prayer warriors, man. They, they're givers. They're teachers and they're faithful. They don't have to be padded. They don't have to be, you know, everybody always recognize them. They don't have to have their name on something. If they give something, they don't have to have a, a little ornament there. This was given by so-and-so. I just want to tell you something. I don't really like that that much. If you give something to the church, then either give it without having your name put on it or just don't give it, all right? No offense. <laughs> just thought I'd share that. I'll get a letter about that too. All right, great. Praise the Lord. No, I won't. If I do, I won't read it. All right, how's that? 
Donna's back there saying, would you please get back to your sermon? Yes, I will, baby. I hear you thinking back there. Galatians 1.19, he was an apostle. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, Paul said, the Lord's brother. Here you have the apostle of the Gentiles referring to James. James didn't call himself an apostle. Other people did. Other people said, he's an apostle. He's not just a pastor. That man is an apostle. He is somebody that God's hand is on. It didn't stop there. Paul went on and gave him another word, another accolade, called him a pillar, recognizing the grace. This is Galatians 2, 9. Recognizing the grace that had been given to me, three men came up. James, that's the head pastor there. Cephas, that's Peter. And John, that's the brother of the other James that was martyred, the two sons of Zebedee, the guy that wrote five books of the New Testament. They were reputed to be pillars, that is, people that the church needed. They, they were standing strong. When everybody else gave in, they were the pillars of the church. They were standing strong. And James was one of them along with Peter and John. That's pretty high cotton right there. He gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they be they to the circumcised. We're going to go be the apostles to the Gentiles, they're going to be the apostles to the Jews. And that's okay. Now, if we see a Jew, we'll witness to them. If they see a Gentile, they'll, but, but primarily this is our ministry. And that's okay. I want to say this to you. James never called himself an apostle or a pillar. And I read this yesterday in my quiet time. It was very interesting when these things show up. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Don't brag on yourself. If somebody else wants to brag on you, that's their business. But the only one you ought to brag on is God. Don't try to put yourself in a good light. Just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. Walk humbly with your God. Don't toot your own horn. It'll always be out of key if you do. James was an apostle and a pillar. But there was something better than that. You said, now, Brother Steve, stop it. Number one, this point has gone on long enough. Let's go to point two. No, there's one more thing. And to me, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to James. He became an author in the Bible. Now, friend, I want to tell you something. It's one thing to be a believer. It's one thing to be a pastor. It's one thing to be an apostle. It's one thing to be the brother of Jesus. It's one thing to be a pillar in the church. But when God said to James, I want you to write one of the 27 books of the New Testament, one of the 66 books in the Bible, I want to tell you something, friend. That, to me, is the greatest thing that ever happened to James, the brother of Jesus. Read about it. In our text, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. You know, Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. It is God-breathed, inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness so that the man of God may... Be adequate, equipped for every good work. My, 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 James, what an amazing 
journey and story you have. Well, let's go on now. I'll share the other three things with you very quickly. Not only the story that James experienced, this is the man that wrote this book. This is the man who, through the Holy Spirit, was led to write this book. Now we're going to see the submission that James embraced. This tells you a lot about somebody. Now we've just seen somebody that, that uh, was the brother of Jesus. He is a believer and he's with them on the day of Pentecost. He's right there when the church begins. He's among the 120 that get filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I mean that's, that's pretty tall cotton right there. And if you don't know what I'm talking about on that, uh, that means if you're country, that's a pretty big deal, all right? And then he was not only a believer that got filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, right there at the inception of the church, but he became the pastor of the first church, first church in Jerusalem, and then he became an apostle. Other people said that. He didn't say that about himself. He became that pillar, that strong man in the church, that person that was giving strength to the other Christians, and then he became an author in the Bible. But you'd never know it if you talked to him. You'd never know that he had any of those accolades. Here's what he said about himself. James, a bondservant. Say that with me. James, a bondservant. Say it again. James, a bondservant. You know what he was saying? A slave. I'm a slave. He didn't say James, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. No, he said James, a slave. I'm just a lowly slave. Of who? Of the church? Nope. Of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll say this to you. Right there shows you that Jesus is just as much God as God the Father. He's on parallel right there with God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a bondservant. I'm a doulos. I'm a slave. I am subservient to God and to his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I was the brother of Jesus. Yes, I was an unbeliever who became a believer by the grace of God. Yes, I was the pastor. Yes, I was an apostle. Yes, I was a pillar. Yes, I helped to write scripture. But I see myself differently. I'm just a slave, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I will not exalt myself. I will view myself in humility because it's only the grace of God that allows me to do anything. A slave in the Roman world found himself at the very bottom of society. A slave in the Roman world had zero rights. Nowadays, everybody's demanding their rights. Well, you, wouldn't, you would not have if you were a slave in the Roman Empire. A slave among the first century Romans was viewed as nothing more than a piece of property, nothing greater than some animal out in the stall or out in the field. The masters of slaves had every right to treat their slaves any way they wanted to. Even if they wanted to be immoral with them, the slave had no say-so about anything. When that slave was told to do something, he did it 
or that person that owned that slave could kill that slave and nobody would say a thing. Nobody would say a thing. No arrest, no investigations, no nothing. The slave was nothing in the Roman society. And so when James said, I'm a slave, everybody knows coming out of the gate, this guy is saying that he has no rights whatsoever. Ah, but he's not a slave to man. He's a slave to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can hear some of you thinking out there, well, maybe that's the way he looked at it, but I, that's not the way I look at Christianity. I've got rights. Now, I want God to save me, but I don't want to be a slave, not even to Jesus. Then you are not a Christian. Do you hear what I just said? If you are not a slave to God and the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not a child of God. If you think more of yourself than James did, you see it all wrong. You say, well, I don't believe that. Jesus never said anything like that. Say what? Oh, he did. Where? Glad you asked. Luke 17, 7 through 10. Jesus, talking to his disciples, said, which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, he's talking to the group and to his disciples, anybody will listen, will say to him, talking to them about the slave, who of you has a slave who's plowing and tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down here and eat. In other words, you don't say to your slave, oh, I know you're tired, come on in and, and let me cook for you. No. Not in Jesus' day you didn't. But will he not say to him, you prepare something for me to eat. Properly clothe yourself. I don't want you smelling with those rags. I want you to look good. Serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward you may eat and drink. Does he not, he does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded him, does he? And you say, I can't believe Jesus is saying this. The point is in verse 10. So you too, you my disciples, when you do all the things which you are commanded, that is commanded by God, you just look up to God and say, I'm just an unworthy slave. I've done only that which I ought to have done. You say, Brother Steve, I didn't know I was going to get that when I came to church. Well, here it is. You want to be saved? Become a slave. You give up all your rights. You don't have a right to say what God can do with you. You don't have a right to say what you're going to do. You die. And you know what? You've got to die every day. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and die and follow me. You're a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's not what you want, you say, well, I didn't know all that. I, I don't think I, I want that. That's fine. I mean, it's your choice. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, your prayer has to be, not my will, but, say it with me, thine be done. If that's not your attitude, 
I love you. I'm not mad at you, but I'm just telling you, you are not a Christian if you are not a doulos, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you got saved, you died. What did Paul say in Galatians 2.20? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then Paul said, I die every day. Here's what you ought to do every morning. Hello, Jesus, I die to myself and I live to you. Whatever you want, Whatever you desire, I am your slave. I am a slave to God. I am a bondservant, a doulos. I'll do whatever you want. Go wherever you want, anytime you want. I'll be whatever you want me to be. My life is no longer my life. I give my life to you. I am a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen in the house of the Lord? The Lord. Well, I'll, I'll accept Jesus as my Savior, but not as my Lord. Can't, <laughs> wrong. You can't have it both ways. What I just said is going to become very important in the years to come. You signed up for death to yourself when you got saved. That's the submission. James embraced. Now, very quickly, or as quickly as I can do it, <laughs> the saints James engaged to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. This 12 tribes, does that sound like Israel? Well, it's not Israel. It is the Israel of God that Galatians talked about. And Paul talked about in Galatians 6, 16, talking about the church. It's talking about the entire church, all the Christians. James we know primarily preach to Jewish Christians, but when he says the 12 tribes, that's, a, that's a, a name, it's an acronym for the whole church. He said, this epistle is for all of you and you are dispersed abroad. That is agricultural speech. It is the word diaspora, spora, to sow seed, Dia, diaspora, to sow seed accordingly outside, to, to spread out the seed. He said, plainly, you are dispersed abroad. I want to say this to you. God doesn't keep his seed in the bag. God sows his seed. He disperses you. Some of you don't like where you live. You know what? Stop thinking of it that way and realize God puts you where you are for a purpose to reach the people right around you with the seed of the gospel. You are gospel seed and the gospel in you is gospel seed and God doesn't huddle us up all the time to be by ourselves. We wanna have a holy huddle all the time. How many of you know that in the Super Bowl tonight, don't act like you're not gonna watch it. How many of you know that in the Super Bowl tonight, if the teams just stay in a huddle, they're never gonna win the game? Now, you got to be in a huddle once in a while. This is our huddle time, but you know what? Then we're going to break in a little while, and then we're going to go out, and we're going to be in the, engaged in the game. We're going to be in the war. We're going to be living the Christian life. We huddle up every once in a while to kind of encourage each other and to kind of get God's plan, but then we go out, and we are dispersed. We're like seed, and 
That's what he's saying here. That's the word he uses, and every word in the word is inspired exactly like God wanted it to be. Dispersed abroad, broadcast. God has scattered you so that you can be salt and light, so that you can be seed and take the seed of the gospel everywhere. I've said it many times. Some of y'all are complaining about where you work, but it was God who put you there. But there's a bunch of lost people there. Yeah, that's the idea. God doesn't want all us Christians huddling up all the time. He wants us to get out there and be seed, amen? Amen, I'll amen myself, that's fine. Apostle Paul understood, I gotta go, I gotta, I gotta preach. I read this this morning in my quiet time. I shared it last night, but I read this. I read Romans 15 in my quiet time this morning. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. Paul said, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news, the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. My ambition, now listen, has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard. Rather than where a church already has already been started by someone else, I have been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says those who have never been told about him will see and those who have never heard of him will understand. In fact, my visit to you, talking about the Roman Christians, has been delayed so long because I have been preaching in these places. Now, but now I have finished my work in these regions, and after all these long years of waiting, I am eager to visit you. I am planning to go to Spain also. When I do, I will stop off in Rome, and after I've enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. Paul was saying, I want to go to the extremity of the Roman Empire, and that is Spain. I want to go by Rome. I want to see what you guys are doing. Thank God for the work there. Win some souls there. That's great. But I want to go to the outer limits. I want to go to the very precipice of Christianity. I want to go to where nobody's ever heard about Jesus and tell them about Jesus and see a bunch of people get saved because there's going to be signs. There's going to be wonders. There's going to be miracles. And they'll know that there's a God in their place there, not just me. Is that anything like you? Are, are you somebody that says, no, no, Brother Steve, I, I want to play it safe. I don't want to engage other people like that. I, I don't want that. No, no, I don't want to be the 12. I don't want to be dispersed abroad. I, I'm not a missionary, Brother Steve. Look at me. Look, oh, oh, let me just say this. Don't ever forget what I'm about. Please, please listen to me. Not only is every Christian a slave, every Christian is a missionary. We're going to have mission week in a few weeks. I got news for you. We have mission week every week. The mission field is not in here. The mission field is out there. The mission field might be a restaurant where you eat today. The mission field might be a school that you attend this week. The mission might be your neighborhood. It, wherever it is, you're a missionary and you're constantly, constantly engaging people that need to know Jesus. Well, oh, James, what a guy you are, man. 
your story, brother, unbeliever, believer, pastor, apostle, pillar, author, submission that you embraced also. You were a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You were a slave. Wow, you were submissive, James. And the saints that you engaged, the, the 12 tribes, the whole church, you're telling them that they are dispersed providentially by God abroad like seed that has been scattered by a wonderful, good farmer who knows how to sow and how to reap. But that's not all. There's one more word there. And how many of you believe that every word in the Bible is inspired by God? Every single word, even the, the jots and the tittles. Look at the salutation James extended. Now he is about to preach and to teach a group of people who are being persecuted, some of them arrested, some of them eventually will be killed for their faith in Christ, but he's got a word for them and it's embedded in this one little word in the English called greetings. You know what it means? Explode with joy, <laughs> joy, rejoice, be glad, be joyful, be full of joy. Now the very next sentence tells us that they're gonna be joyful in a time of tribulation. Let me just read to you, this will give you a little bit of insight for what we'll talk about next week, James 1 verse two, consider it all joy, super joy, the highest sort of joy, the best joy there can be. Consider it total joy when you encounter various trials. And the word encounter there is the same verb used in the parable of the Good Samaritan where this man was walking along and fell among thieves. That's what it was. He fell among thieves. It was a surprise attack. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter, when you fall among, just kind of just randomly fall among, or providentially would say, fall among some things that happened to you and you didn't see them coming. How many of you have ever had troubles and you didn't see them coming when they came? Anybody out there? That's the kind of thing. He said, look, when you encounter those kind of things, consider it all joy. Get happy and say, oh, praise God, a trial. Praise God. God's going to refine me. God's going to shape me up. God is going to move in my life. Oh, joy, joy, joy. You say, you've lost your mind. No, I haven't. Jesus said, consider it all joy. James said that. Jesus said, when you're persecuted for righteousness, rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice when you're persecuted. When people cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me, rejoice. Rejoice. Oh, I don't want to, Brother Steve. I want to cry. Stop it. Stop having a pity party. Nobody comes, especially God. You have been highly blessed. Everybody in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, you've been highly blessed. And you Christians out there, you have really been blessed. And we don't do our God right when we go around 
with a moaning, crying face all the time. Woe is me, I'm so sad. Stop it. I realize things hurt people. I understand things go wrong. I understand sickness, been there, done that. I understand the loss of loved one, been there, done that. I know what it's like for people to be cruel to you. But I wanna say this to you, when you think about all the good things God has done for you, it is not time to hang your head in despair. It is not time to walk in defeat. It is not time to be depressed. It is time to rejoice, to rejoice, to rejoice. God has been good to you. I said God has been good to you. That's what this whole book is about. I try to talk calm. I'm not trying to be cute, I'm just, I try to. But how can you? How can you be calm about this? Nehemiah 8.10. He said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet. That ought to be somebody's life verse right there. <laughs> and send portions to him who did, has nothing prepared for this day is holy to the Lord our God. Don't be grieved for the joy, say it with me, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hallelujah. I've lost my joy, Brother Steve. Well, David did too when he committed adultery and then had somebody killed. That'll lose your joy. That'll make you lose your joy, but he got right with God. Aren't you glad that God can forgive any sin? And David prayed for, to get his joy back. Some of y'all need to pray this prayer daily until you get it back. What he prayed in Psalm 51, 10 through 13, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from thy presence. Do not take thy Holy Spirit from me like you did from Saul, the king. Oh, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I'll teach transgressors thy ways and then sinners will be converted unto thee when I get my joy back. Peter said it this way, 1 Peter 1, 8, though you have never seen him, you love him. How many of you, you've never seen Jesus, but you love him. Anybody, amen? Amen, got some joy there. And though you don't see him now, you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. Man, well, I don't have anything to be joyful about. Are you a Christian? Greetings, rejoice. All your sins are forgiven, rejoice. You're a child of the living God, he's your heavenly father, rejoice. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, rejoice. God's gonna supply all your needs, not all your greed, but all your need, rejoice. You can do all things through Christ who will strengthen you, rejoice. Greater is Jesus who is in you than he that is in the world. Rejoice. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Rejoice. God is going to instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. He will guide you with his eye upon you. Rejoice. 
you will hear his voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whether you turn to the right or the left. So just rejoice because no weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Our vindication is from Jesus, saith the Lord, rejoice. No evil will befall you. No plague will come near your dwelling. He will give his angels charge concerning you and he will guard you in all of your ways. Rejoice, rejoice. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. He maketh you to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth you beside the still waters. He restoreth your soul. He leadeth you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil for God is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. He is preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He will move in your life and he is your precious shepherd. Oh, hear me today. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. I didn't quote the last part of it. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and forever and forever. Amen. Amen. Greetings. <laughs> Greetings. Let's all stand up. Well, hello, James. We're glad to meet you. And we look forward to walking through this book. Amen? Amen. Let's give God praise for what he's going to say to us what he's gonna to say to us in this book. Now you look at me. I'm not gonna to lie to you. God wants you to get saved today, but by that I mean he wants you to die. Die to yourself, die to your plans, die to your sins. And he wants you to become a lowly, spiritual slave, not of us, but of Jesus. And if you'd like to do that, that's the only way to real life. That's it. You have to die before you have the life of Jesus. But the life of Jesus is like no life you have ever known before. It is abundant life. It is abundant life. And if today that's what you want, man, we're gonna give you the opportunity to be saved right now. Oh, you know, praying to receive Jesus is not complicated, it's not hard, but it requires total submission and total surrender and you laying on a cross literally and saying, God, I'm not only giving you my heart, I'm giving you the rest of my life and whatever you want from me, I die to what I want. I die to my career. I die to my whatever, all my 
my stuff. I died all that. Whatever you want. When you come like that, that's when you get saved. And you'll never be the same. I hope you can walk out here today and say your name. Steve. A slave. A bondservant of the Lord Jesus, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to address my brothers, the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Joy, greetings, beloved ones. Come and give your heart to Jesus. I want our pastors to come right now. And they'll stand right along this edge. I want you to come and stand right now so they'll know where you are. The moment we start singing, if you would like to come and sell out to Jesus, that's what being saved is. Die to yourself and live unto him. Take up his cross the rest of your life on this earth until you see him face to face. If that's what you want, he'll forgive all your sins. He'll change you. You come. Give your heart to Christ. Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus. Call upon his name. And then today, you say, well, I've already done that, but I saw this person get baptized. Yeah, that's how you go public. Why would you be ashamed of Jesus? He's not ashamed of you. If anybody's got any reason to be ashamed of it, he should be ashamed of us, amen? But we should never be ashamed of him. And he's not ashamed of us. He loves us. He takes us in. Look at me. You can get baptized. That is just not that big of a deal, all right? That just shows everybody you belong to Christ. And if you want to join this church, you want to start that process, come on. Come on. If you need prayer, you come. And some of you, God is calling you to preach the gospel. Come talk to somebody. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing. And I'm begging you. That's the word beseech. I'm begging you to come to Christ. Father, help people not to hold back. Let the water break through, dear God, the living water. Let it form a river of living water. Let people come to Christ, even today. Let them come to Jesus even today as we sing as we worship all God's people said Amen